0: The Truth News Network Budweiser sends in the Clydesdales to calm the noise over Bud Light. Well, at least it's the whole horse You're listening to TNN The Truth News Network And here to have a beer over the truth is Dan Newman. Well it's a little bit early to even think about having a beer) <laughs> Good morning, folks. I guess maybe if you watch the world and watch what's going on in our world, principally up in Washington, D.C., you might be tempted to pop a top on a brewski this morning even. After all, as we're told all the time, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. (laughs) I hope and pray that you have been able to survive the chaos, the nastiness, the ugliness, the lies, the gross misrepresentations, and by the way, all of the illegal activity perpetrated by and committed by our president, Joe Biden. Ooh, you can't say that, Dan, they'll take you down. Well guess what? Long as there's internet, they can't take us down. We don't we don't take answers or instructions or opinions from anybody except you, the people. Hmm. YouTube can't take us down. We're not on YouTube. We have our own website. We don't answer to a major network. We're never going to run into an issue like Tucker Carlson ran into over the weekend. And speaking of Tucker, he came out of the woods yesterday late. We're going to start the show with our usual cool relaxing music. But right after that, guess what you're going to hear? You're going to hear from Tucker Carlson himself. We're then going to launch into some of the stuff going around the media world about Tucker, why he got shelled, what's he going to do, and when, if he's going to do something, is he going to do it? And what is his thought about what's going on? You don't want to miss this show. We launch into some other stuff. Economic news for the U.S. came out first thing this morning, and it ain't as good as the Biden folks told us it was going to be. You're going to hear personally from Randy Weingarten, the head of that the biggest, largest teachers union in America, who yesterday testified before Congress, a committee in the House. It gets ugly, but the truth is, comes out, the truth is very obvious, when you listen to Weingarten answer questions by those members of Congress who pose those to her. And we do have a debt limit bill. Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker, was able to pull the Republicans together, and we have one that's going across the hallway to the Senate. The Senate's going to probably, without question, manipulate what they get from the House. But the onus is on the Democrat Party now and the leader of the free world, well, the so-called leader of the free world, Joe Biden, to get it done before we default. No longer can this president, no longer can Democrats say the Republicans are holding them hostage because of cuts. Yeah, the debt limit bill is there, and it raises the debt limit over a trillion dollars. That's how much they can spend in the next fiscal year. Think about that. over a trillion dollars is legal for our government to spend. That just makes me want to throw up. In fact, when I said that, I threw up a little bit in my mouth. Oh, well. We're the United States of America. Even with Joe Biden at the top and Democrats controlling the majority in the Senate and controlling the FBI and the other divisions of the Department of Justice, we're going to be okay. I promise you you're gonna be okay. It's all gonna work out. and we just gotta live through it, right? Oh. Ho, ho, ho. Some great soft music.. Like Woo. Listen. listen to that. This is gonna make your day folks. Just part of what we do here at Tianenden Live every day. we get you started with good music, good thoughts and facts, facts up next. Go for that. Honestly, that's the way many Americans feel about pretty much all of the crap. I started to say the other word, but I didn't. We feel that way about all the stuff that's being shoveled down our throats out of Washington, D.C. So let me do something a little different. Would you like one of the brand new Truth News Network TNN Live coffee mugs? I mean, a really nice one. It's got a a straw that comes with it, a permanent straw. It's got a plastic top that is really, really uh, good at what it does. And, of course, it's got the TNN logo on the side. Here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to give you my email address right now. Pay attention, those of you listening, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. They come in. Your choice of white or black. I'm I'm a little, uh, I'm a little, I like the black. Yeah, I just like it with the logo taken out of it so the logo is silver. But white is pretty darn good too. You want one of those? Here's how you get it. I just gave you the email address. The first person, and it's going to be determined, the first person is going to be by the timestamp on the email that you send to that that tells me who did that song you just heard? I can't go for that. Who was the group that were the first to do that song? Huh, you better hurry, dan at truthnewsnet.org. And we'll send it to you immediately. I promise you'll use it every day. I use mine every day. In fact, I bring a, uh, a mug of uh, Diet Pepsi over ice into the studio along with my coffee mug. Hey, told you Tucker Carlson was going to be here. He is here. And he's here to, after the very first public comments that he's made about his departure from Fox News, he made it from his studio. I don't know if you've known this, but Tucker Carlson's show for years has been done from his home studio that he built down in Florida. So that's where he is, and that's where this message came from. Tucker Carlson broke his silence.
1: Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon.
0: I think the magic in what we just heard from Tucker is an explanation of his philosophy of what he does professionally. Basically, it boils down to this. Some people are good, some people are bad. It's up to us to get all the information and to make our own determinations about who we want to believe and who we wish to silence or at least ignore the insanity that comes from their mouths. Following his departure over the weekend from Fox, that ever-grinding media rumor mill kicked into high gear. Everybody had an opinion. Everybody was talking about it. High gear, whispers, they started to swirl right after it was announced that he was gone. And all of the talk is about where he's going to land. One of the contenders has already stepped forward. One America News Network, OANN. From time to time, you hear us do a um, an audio bite from one of their news stories. A good network, basically. One America News Network. It's headquartered in San Diego. They offered him already $25 million. They made it known they're seeking to hire the conservative 53-year-old Tucker Carlson. It's doubtful that Tucker's going to bite on their offer that's floating around out there. He may be contractually constrained from taking an offer like this. And in my opinion, he's far more likely to strike out on his own. And if you were here Monday morning, you know, that's what I recommended he would do. Like Dan Bongino had already done. He had a show on Rumble when Fox hired him to do that Saturday night show. Dan is one of the others that just left Fox News. He's gone, too. Carlson could go that route immediately, and he could do like Joe Rogan did. Rogan became a podcasting powerhouse in his own right, raking in millions of dollars in the process. Why? Because if you do your own thing, if you have your own studio, if you have your own staff, and you just stream your show on the Internet, as long as there's Internet... You don't answer to anybody but those that are watching you or listening to you. Hmm. Carlson was pulling in a rumored $78 million last year alone in advertising revenue. $78 million in one year, one show, one hour a night. He's reportedly already independently wealthy. So he's likely to bide his time and consider all his options before he leaps in. I don't think Tucker's going to do that. I think Tucker wants to be back in the flow immediately, as quickly as possible. But you know what? We're all going to see, and we're going to see together. There will be uh, some some more rumors that come back in. There are going to be some. That's the way it always happens, isn't it? But we're keeping on our, our eye on it, and we'll bring you anything and everything that happens with Tucker. Everybody's going to want to know where he goes. The day after Tucker lost his Fox jobs, he started getting insults and applause from those who hate him in the media and want him gone. But he got some praise from a very surprising source, a progressive magazine, The American Prospect. I don't read it much. Why? Because it's way out there. It's far left. The piece in The American Prospect may have been titled The Smuggest Man on the Air, which is what it was titled, but it was decidedly more admiring of Tucker Carlson. Journalists journalists Lee Harris and Luke Goldstein wrote the story, and in it they said Carlson was, quote, skilled at skewering comfortable pieties on the left and the right, and that Tucker's insistent distrust of his powerful guest acts as a solvent to authority. Remember, it's a progressive site. You know, they talk in high stuff. They praise Carlson's criticism of free market conservative dogma. Also, our foreign policy and our foreign policy establishment. They only briefly mentioned what they say was his obsessively nativist messaging, which they said alienated viewers who might otherwise have embraced his populist perspective. And of course, the backlash from some quarters of the left were very swift. Author Zachary Carter called the article generally revolting. Writer Kathleen Geyer opined that the prospect writers either must be too dumb to notice Carlson's bigotry or they share his views. Disgraceful and stupid. That's what Josh Marshall of Talking Points Memo tweeted. And then there's New York Times columnist Jamel Bowie called the article shoddy and unconvincing, said Carlson's show was praised by literal Nazis for its messaging and tagged The Prospect's top editor, David Dane, to ask why he published it. And then Dane, of course, because it's a leftist rag, he soon issued a semi-apologetic editor's note saying that the piece fell short, (laughs) that he bore responsibility, and that he'd publish a response from other staffers very soon. But Dane's apology notwithstanding. Some of those on the left, they defended the piece that that outlet published. It kind of shocked me. This is the only piece on the left trying to understand how Tucker fit into policy discourse. That comes from Matt Stoller, who's an anti-monopoly activist. So, of course, most people hate it. The American Prospect they have always, almost 100%, championed the leftist agenda with alternately wonky and crusading bents. Every once in a while, they'll throw something up and you scratch your head and say, Is this the prospect? Are they saying this? And it's helped to launch the cr- careers of many now prominent journalists, including Bowie, Marshall, and others who are now up in arms. The, Spr- the prospect article. And all the responses to it, it brought a long simmering tension within the liberal left coalition, brought it to a boil. That is, are social justice politics combating racism, sexism, xenophobia, and bigotry? Are they so important that any enemy of that project, especially one with views as virulent and influence, as immense as Tucker's, should be declared evil? Or is issues like challenging the U.S. foreign policy establishment and even challenging corporate power, is that important enough that it's worth finding some common ground with people who espouse Tucker's own views? Even people who espouse them quite loudly and quite often? Some people call him a white nationalist. And it's a fact. White nationalists have frequently praised Carlson for finally letting arguments they've long made in the mainstream give some voice to him. Others call him a fascist. That's what they call everybody. I've been called a fascist. And if you look up the definition of fascism, I'm 180 degrees away from that with a career and a lot of stories and shows that prove I'm not a fascist. But you know what? Labeling somebody with an evil moniker... That's what the left does. They use that as ammunition, and they try to sell it to their fawning followers, and in many cases, it works. You know, facts, they really don't matter to a lot of people. Tucker's believed that he, not just to be a participant, but a ringleader in a movement that threatens marginalized people's rights in very existence, and those words are in quotation marks, rights and very existence. Rights is the big thing. The left think that equity thrown into the mix, it's not in the Constitution. It's not even in the Declaration of Independence. The Constitution and the government of the United States was founded and very vocally founded to make sure, guarantee, that everybody receives a chance at real equality. No guarantees for any of us but you're going to be able to go do what you want to do to try to increase anything and everything you want for you and those in your family. If you fail, we hate it for you, but you've got a chance because of equal opportunities. You've got a chance to try it again if you want to try it again. Some leftists think that these claims about Tucker, which resemble claims made about Trump, by the way, some leftists think, they're overhyped, as is the culture war in general. Nobody can credibly say that's not so. They tend to believe the greatest threats to our country don't fall so clearly along party lines and aren't getting enough attention. They're very troubled by the bipartisan U.S. foreign policy establishment, which they thought that they own. And they think both parties are far too corrupted by corporate power. And by the way, both of those viewpoints got an airing on Tucker's show. Carlson did break from the traditional GOP establishment on both of those topics. He offered commentary that sounded quite different from that of other Fox hosts like Sean Hannity. This is the argument that Glenn Greenwald has made in explaining his willingness to go on Tucker's show and his increasing friendliness toward the populist right generally. Once viewed as a crusading journalist of the left, by the way, he is now loathed by many of his former allies. Stoller, who defended the prospect piece, has faced similar controversies over when he tried to work with Senator Josh Hawley Republican from Missouri on antitrust policies. But critics of all this, this viewpoint, they argue that Carlson's economic rhetoric is phony. That, like Trump and like historical fascists, there they go with the F word again, Tucker pandered with phony populism for the cause of advancing an authoritarian and bigoted agenda that likely wouldn't even do much about corporate power. Now you got to remember we're talking about an article from a far left rag some argued this was an example of the old left fantasy of a red brown alliance between the left and the fascist something that never ends well for the left Dane adopted that viewpoint in his editor's note he said he thinks right populists have tried to co-opt the topics of corporate predatory actions, and war. The left is really good at pulling stuff out of the air that they consider a good weapon, a good arrow that they can throw in their quiver to use later to demean anybody that's politically different from them. Another important undercurrent here is, of course, feelings about wokeness and the so-called social justice movement in general, some leftists, they get a little mad at what they see as this movement's tendency towards self-righteousness, denunciation based upon censorship and co-option by the professional managerial class. They think it's morphed into a new dull conventional wisdom that they want to get through. Prospect Investigations Editor Mo Takik tweeted in defense of the Carlson article that she was so effing over the lazy Philistine that immediately denounces as crypto-fascist anyone who entertains the notion that white-wing populism might have an appeal beyond bigots be bigoting. (laughs) You almost have to take 10 minutes to break down that tweet. Mo gets out there. Mo's way on the left. Much of this controversy is about where the article appeared. Recently under Dane's editorship, the prospect achieved new relevance by their obsession in covering corporate power, the U.S. foreign policy establishment, and corruption, zigging where other social media chasing liberal digital publications were zagging. But Dane's prospect hasn't been known for any woke any social justice provocations. And this piece was so poorly received that he felt the need to be publicly semi-apologetic for it, saying he'd work hard to earn back whatever trust has been lost. Listen, this article they published about Tucker, it's got some cold, hard facts in it. But most on the left, especially in the media, they don't want to listen to these ideals. They must, because of who they are and how they function and where they get their power, they must automatically, if you disagree with them, you're a fascist, you're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, and you've got to be marginalized at anything you say or do. Period. It doesn't matter. Content doesn't matter. None of that matters. If you simply can be labeled a conservative, Based upon the things that you do, the things you support, the things you say, you're evil. And they just put a big Nazi swastika on your forehead. You know why they do that? It makes it so much easier for them to not have to go into the nitty-gritty and try to prove they're right. If they call you a Nazi, if they call you an authoritarian, they call you a narcissist, there's no way you can counter that. It's almost like walking in a crowd, and your buddy over there, Bill is his name. He's walking in the same crowd, but he's about twenty-five or thirty people over. And it's a big crowd. And you're walking, trying to get out of say uh, LSU Stadium after a a Tigers ball game. It's loud, but there may be people between you and Bill that know Bill, and they may know you, or maybe not. And then you shout over the top of the crowd, "Hey, Bill!" Have you stopped beating your wife? Well, (laughs) what kind of position does that put Bill in? If he turns around and looks at you and says, I don't beat my wife, and you say again, well, when did you stop? Everybody between you and Bill automatically think, Bill beats his wife. That's where the left like to live, the one that's doing the shouting at Bill. And boy, they do that. They do it every day, don't they? Well, you heard Tucker. I think the most important thing Tucker said was the last thing he said in his speech there to us. And it wasn't really a a speech. Um, I'm going to cue it back up and let you listen to the last thing that Tucker said last night when he posted this video. Listen to this.
1: As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. See
0: you soon. Let me tell you what that tells me about Tucker. He's already decided what he's going to do and where he's going to show up. If he was sitting here today, and I've never met him, never spoke to him. If he was sitting here today and asked me my opinion, I would say, Tucker... Don't ever go to work for anybody else. You don't need them. You need to go to the place where you cannot be edited by anybody on the right or the left. They can't control what you say, what you don't say, what you report on. They can't do any of that. And that means you've got to find a place financially where you can do what you do best that you've proven for years, especially the last eight or nine with Fox News In that eight o'clock spot. This is seven o'clock, isn't it? Hannity's is seven, uh is eight to nine and Laura Ingram's nine to ten. Central time. Okay. But find a place where you control everything. Kind of like Joe Rogan. Now he's on YouTube. But YouTube, I don't care what kind of pressure they get from outsiders, they're not going to pull him down. You know why? He makes them millions of dollars. And reportedly, Joe Rogan makes $12 million a year on his podcast. Having having a voice about things, no matter what those things are, having a voice gives whoever is going to speak about those things, gives them an opportunity to change people's minds about anything and everything. And, of course, that's the fundamental reason why those on the left are quick to call Tucker Carlson a white supremacist or fascist. Most Americans that are thinking, I mean, really adult-thinking Americans, know what a fascist is, know what fascism is. And speaking the truth about anything, in fact, even walking up to the line and throwing your opinion in about something or somebody, that's not fascism. Fascism is a type of authoritarianism where there's a small centralized power that's over everything. That's not a Tucker Carlson. But when they call somebody a fascist, it's just like me screaming at Bill. Hey, Bill, have you stopped beating your wife? And everybody that listens, they think, okay, he's a wife beater. So Tucker, because they don't agree... They don't like what he said. They've got to find a way to get other people to dislike him too. The easiest way is to sell a lie. Nobody will like a fascist, right? I mean, look what the big fascist in Europe did. He slaughtered 7 million Jews. A white supremacist, the same thing. I grew up in the deep south, way south, Louisiana. I know what a white supremacist is. Tucker's anything but a white supremacist. Why did they want to label him with that? Why did they want to label Donald Trump with that? That's why Joe Biden still spews the lies and the venom about what Trump said at that uh, Charlottesville, Virginia thing that happened. Purposefully, the left have just gone to their fallback position they have nothing to sell to us. There's no good in what they're promoting, none whatsoever. So they jump into the social justice area and they try to deflect our attention to something that is virtually insane. We can get into that later in the show. But they want to deflect our attention away from what's really going on and why it's really going on. And who are those that are responsible for not only initiating it, but perpetrating it moving forward. Even after they find out, hey, this is a problem. It's not so good for us. We need to reconsider. Reconsideration doesn't happen on the left. When they see a June bug and jump on that June bug, they will not be satisfied until they consume it. And because they consume that June bug, they own every other June bug. That's the way they roll. And they don't even try to hide it anymore. I mean, look at what they are not only allowing, but they're pushing at our southern border. 85,000 unaccompanied children are missing. They're not accounted for. 85,000. How does that happen? How it happens is not the big thing. We know how it happens. They just send them. Send them somewhere. I listened to testimony in a subcommittee hearing last week when somebody that is over that very process in the Department of Homeland Security, a woman, making sure those kids, supposedly making sure all accompanied minors are taken care of, and they drill down on the contact she's making with those in these NGOs, non-government organizations that bring people into the picture, that are going to take these kids in, they're going to be placed in those homes and those families and be taken care of. And they aren't even calling to check on these kids after they go there with these sponsors. They don't even communicate with them. And because of that, 85,000 children, illegal immigrants, are missing. The salient point to think about this is how can this administration, how can anybody on the left, how can any American, how can any human let this happen? It didn't have to. It shouldn't have. And in the Biden administration, nobody's going to be held accountable for letting it happen. We hate that for those 85,000 kids. We pray they're going to be fine. We did what we could do which everybody with a reasonable mind will say, that's horse hockey. You did nothing but ship them out. Where did they go? We could sit here and guess where they are, where they went. I promise you this, many of them no longer breathed. My opinion. Much more ahead at TNN Live. Oh, and we have a winner for that uh, TNN Live coffee mug. Stay right there.
1: Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water to local communities in need. Go to PolandSpring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select sizes only 20 up, 700
2: milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles. Holidays abroad. Can
3: we? Can't we? But
2: then we thought, should we? Staycation! Staycation. We could share a year.
4: Please, and no. We Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made.
2: Moonlight skinny dipping.
5: Mm-hmm. We've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why
4: didn't we?
0: Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected.
4: It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup, like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone, or the not-so-compact, compact compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Pesai. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road
0: so at TNN live it pays to listen to what we do here Susan Hand from Tulsa Susan Hand was the first person to email in who recorded that song we opened the show with. I can't go for that. It was Brian McKnight that opened it. his version at the top of our show. But who did it originally? Well, it was published first and recorded and released in 1981 by a duo. Now, who was in that duo? And who was, what was the name of the duo? Hall and Oates. You remember them? Daryl Hall and John Oates. 1981 on their 10th studio album album title, Private Eyes. So Ms. Han, we will send you that TNN Live coffee mug and she decided she wanted a black one so she'll get one. Everybody be listening, we're going to do this throughout the next few days, maybe once or twice a show and we just want to thank all of our listeners for listening, participating in what we do here and also give you a good coffee mug that somebody's going to see you holding it up and they're going to ask you What's TNN? And you can simply tell them Truth News Network, because that's who we are. I told you some economic news came out this morning that's not that good. Our economy in the first quarter of the year grew only 1.1%, much slower than was what was expected. It slowed dramatically in the first three months. Gross domestic product, GDP, which is the measure of all goods and services that are produced, rose at an annualized rate of 1.1%. Now think about that. Break it down. That's less than 1% each month. And that's down from 2.6% in the fourth quarter of last year. The so-called experts, the economists, forecasted our GDP to grow at an annualized rate of 2% in the first quarter. The analysts cautioned that much of the growth took place in the first month of the year, thanks in part to really warm weather. But economic activity began to fall off fast in March. Retail sales fell in March. Why? Because inflation and higher borrowing costs hit consumers. Household spending still rose 3.7%. Now think about it. You spent 3.7% more on everything you bought and our economy only grew at 1.1%. That's not good. The U.S. economy eked out modest growth in the first quarter on the back of strong consumer spending, but the consumer ended the quarter on a sour note, calling into question the sustainability of economic growth in this environment moving forward. That's from Morning Consult's Chief Economist, John Lear. Without a robust consumer, we're likely to see more volatility, less growth, uncertainty, and economic activity through the end of the year. So this steep slowdown, it was not anticipated by our government economists. Here's what I wonder. Those experts in our economic, you know, our Department of uh, uh, Labor people that keep up with our economic stuff, government spending, all those kind of things. I wonder if they really knew this was a probability and they just refused to even give us a thought that it might happen. Business investment plunged almost 13% between the end of last year and the beginning of 2023, which means less money in the marketplace. We think the first quarter is going to be followed by a modest outright decline in the second quarter. That marks the start of a recession, which we expect to last until the fall. We have economists, real economists, not government economists, real economists. They're saying now we're going to have a recession that will last at least until the fall. We'll have a much better idea. The extent of the credit tightening triggered by the banking crisis becomes clear. From here, economists largely expect that our economic growth is going to diminish rapidly. The conference board forecast U.S. GDP to contract to 1.8% in the second quarter in the middle of all the fears of this looming recession. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen but all things being what they are and looking at the world around us right now and who's governing the nation and their policies, especially about spending, it's probable it's going to happen. The job market and consumer spending have held up remarkably well despite the Fed raising interest rates like they have as fast and as high as they have. And the economy doesn't seem to be falling apart yet. The operative word yet. But the economy is slowing. Inflation is not anywhere near the Fed's target of 2%. When you make bad policy decisions and you force those bad policy decisions on every American, on every company, it's going to seriously attack our economy, and everything to do with our economy as it flows down to the American that just tries to eke out a living and pay their bills. It's amazing to me how much we can just forget about, thinking maybe it's going to go away. That's what Joe Biden's doing. Have you heard him in any of his speeches of late? He didn't even mention the facts about What's happening based upon his policies that he implemented since he's been president, the money he's spent, the money he's gave away, the horrors that he has done and initiated, that make us a laughing stock around the world. China has already replaced the United States as a superpower. We're already out of contention when real world leaders start thinking about who they need to circle their wagons with. It's not us anymore. Xi Jinping is a rock star on the world platform right now. I can't believe I actually said that. Somebody from China is considered to be more a leader than the president of the United States. That ought to wake up somebody. So on that vein, there's been a, verbal battle going on between GOP members in the House and the Senate and the White House about our debt limit. Oh, we're going to default on our debt like never before. It's never happened in American history. Those evil Republicans, they just won't sign a blank check and give it to us at the White House so we can just go spend it however we want to. Well, it doesn't work that way. First of all, the debt limit that has to be raised is to pay for things that we've already spent we borrowed money to do the things that we have done and it's not we it's what the Biden administration and Democrats have done the spending of close to 10 trillion dollars during the Biden administration can you believe that borrowing that much money to just give away In a little bit, you're going to hear from Randy Weingarten, the head of the biggest teachers union. And the reason I bring that up is some of what we're doing right now and talking about right now will relate to that. And remind me if I forget to tell you about one specific thing, a really bad thing that's going on right now. And it has to do with money. It has to do with Joe Biden and exactly what we just talked about. The massive spending that has pushed our inflation to a 50-year high. That's number one. Number two is we're paying more for everything we buy and consume than we have in ages, if ever. And this debt limit thing, it hasn't been a bipartisan conversation. You would think that any sitting president would want to speak to the leaders of both houses in Congress to come up with a plan. What are we going to do? We can't default on our debts, so we've got to make these payments. The payments they're talking about making is paying interest on the money we've borrowed from ourselves through the Federal Reserve. So Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, he pulled people in the House together. And yesterday, late yesterday in the evening, the House passed a bill to send to the Senate to increase our debt limit and it has some provisions in it that americans want and need last night mccarthy was on sean hannity then you said could we
2: stand up for the american public that we said in the commitment to america that we would pass the parents bill of rights we passed that we said when we put forth hr1 that we just stand firm to make our energy independent in america and build our economy we passed that We looked and said, when we watched Washington, D.C. decriminalize every form of crime, that we stood up the first time in 30 years of Congress to do that. And you all asked me the same question. What's going to happen when the Senate stops it? Well, the Senate didn't stop it. It passed it. What's going to happen when the president said beforehand, why'd you even vote on it? Because he wasn't going to sign it. He signed it.
6: All right, joining us now with more, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is with us. Mr. Speaker, how are you? So the CBO scored your bill, and it shows that over 10 years, you will save the American taxpayer a whopping $4.8 trillion, and now that is in exchange to raise the debt ceiling. However, that's only this year's negotiation. You're only raising it one year, right?
2: That is right, and it is the largest saving of a bill in American history. That's what we just passed (laughs) with the fourth seat of
6: you, you did it with 217 votes. I did talk to Congressman Matt Gates. He said if the vote was tomorrow, he would, he would uh, vote with you, but he didn't like the process and some amendments added late. Um, let's tell the American people what else is in this bill and why this is so important. And the more important question is, will all Republicans stand firm when the Democrats try to cut back and pare back your savings?
2: Well, I need everybody to stand firm with us, even those four who voted against it as well. What this bill is, it's limit, save, grow. You want to limit the ability to government to grow so fast like it did under the Democrats going forward. So we cap the growth at 1% each year for the next 10. We save money by being smart. What we do is that money and billions of dollars sitting out there that COVID never spent just sitting there, we claw that back so the American taxpayer can save the money. We put in work requirements to help people get jobs to move forward, help our supply chain, and get our country moving again. You know what else we do? By limiting the amount we spend, we curve inflation that makes people stronger. Then we want to grow our economy. H.R. 1, lowering our energy cost. We lower the energy cost for all Americans, but we also create more jobs. We cut the red tape so we could build things again in America. That's just a small sampling of what we do in this bill. And we also cut 87,000 IRS agents, so government is here to help you, not go after you.
6: Uh, that might be one of my favorite provisions, definitely. Um, <laughs> I want people to understand most people may not get what baseline budgeting is, but the government builds into every year an increase in every department, usually, you know, six, seven, eight, nine percent. And you are going to limit that
2: to a maximum of one
6: percent, Correct.
2: Correct. Remember what they did with that omnibus at the end of the year last year? They jammed it through and they increased spending by 132 billion dollars for the next year. But that cost you yeah, 1.5 billion. billion go ahead. It cost you 1.5 billion over 10 years. What we simply do is we pull the dollar figure back to 2022, what we were spending just 4 months ago, and the president goes out there and says, "We're we're going to we're going to starve babies. We're going to cut people off head start or something." That's not true. Just four months ago, we were able to achieve all that. Well, wait a minute. I we're have a question, Eliminating though. waste. And yes.
6: Joe Biden claimed when he said he was, well, when he recorded his announcement that he's going to run for re-election because he couldn't do it live and get it right. Um, <laughs> he, did, he, did, he did accuse Republicans of wanting to gut and cut Social Security. Is there any truth to that, Congressman? Because I don't know of a single Republican that wants to do
2: that. None whatsoever. But you know who is cutting Social Security and Medicare? President Biden. For the first time in the history of any president, Based upon all the money he spent, the Congressional Budget Office came out with a report. It's the first time in a 10-year window that not only the Highway Trust Fund, but Medicare and Social Security go and solve it. So what that means is an automatic cut to those because the president's action of what he's taken. Republicans today took actions to make it stronger by putting in work requirements, putting more people at work, paying into it. We curve inflation. That helps save Medicare and Social Security. And the most important thing we do We cut our dependency on China, and we bring the jobs back to America where they should be. So
6: I have one last thing. It's not a question. It's a statement that I want to share with you, and that is I I told you very early on when you became speaker that we would hold you accountable, and you kept this promise here. Thank you for doing that. On the other hand, I'm saying to every Republican that voted for this bill today— that you must hold the line and not give an inch to the Democrats because they're gonna try and water this down every which way and sideways. So uh, if you can get your caucus to hold the line, that'll be a success for every American.
2: Sean, you should thank every Republican who voted for this bill because they went out and they fought hard. Those who did not vote for the bill, they ought to hold with us because it, it makes us weaker that we don't have 100%. And we're doing exactly what we told the American people to do.
0: You know what that really does, besides giving us a breathing period, it takes away some of the wind out of the pontification from the left. They're so good at doing. I mean, they're so good at doing it. They don't ever want to come out there and be positive about, we're going to do this because, and here's why. They actually lie about people, legislation, bills, negotiations. I listened to one Democrat leader yesterday On one show, I saw an interview, and he just lied one after another. What the Republicans are going to do with their proposal. Well, he didn't even have their proposal in his hands yet. They were still working on it. Now it's there. And they're still trying to lie and say, it's just like when um, Mitt Romney ran, Paul Ryan with his vice president nominee, and they ran against Barack Obama and Joe Biden for their re-election bid in 2012. You remember that ad? They showed Paul Ryan. It was kind of a blacked-out, silhouetted uh, graphic. But Paul Ryan was pushing Grandma over to the edge of the cliff and throwing her off because Republicans were going to gut Medicare and Social Security. They're doing it again. There's nothing in the bill that does any of that this Democrat yesterday said they're going to fire thousands of Border Patrol agents. They're not. They're not doing that. There's nothing even mentioned about doing that cuts in the Border Patrol control operation. In fact, there's more in there for them to use, but it comes with specific things that must be done with it. Instead of just giving Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas a blank check and saying, go spend whatever you want to spend. It's to do the things to protect our southern border. That's certainly not happening in the Biden administration. You know that. We've got to take control of our nation, every part of it. Didn't take long for Biden to get into office and begin to unilaterally tear it to pieces. I don't know that we could get it back together as quickly as he tore it to pieces, but we've got to make the changes. And it starts with stopping the egregious spending of this administration and this government. Those are facts. we got to listen. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic
3: report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto & Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto & Truck Parts. 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342. 529-8342.
6: Yo. Yo. Some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways, fancy prance, you heard?
1: Yeah.
6: Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just
7: whispered
4: all of y'all. Too easy.
7: Bye. Five
5: calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense.
0: I was reading and doing show prep last night for today's show, and I came across something that just ripped me to the core. Listen to what is happening up in our Pacific Northwest. Seattle Children's Hospital is encouraging medical professionals all through that area to offer swift biomedical interventions as the number one, the default treatment treatment for any and every young patient with gender identity issues. Even when the parents are skeptical and largely avoids recommending mental health services to gender dysphoric youth, this is coming from documents that are published by Seattle Children's Hospital. Seattle Children's recently attracted a bunch of criticism when they began advertising transgender surgical procedures for minors, and they published several guides that instruct medical doctors on their treatment decisions that are regarding gender-affirming medical care for youth, and they define what those are. The guide promotes puberty blockers, menstrual suppression drugs for young patients. Don't list any mental health screenings, as a necessary step before medications are administered, and instead they indicate mental health treatments are optional and must be sought externally. Wait a minute. We're talking about Seattle Children's Hospital. I thought hospitals is where the experts work. And I thought the people there were all committed, took an oath, that Hippocratic Oath, to make sure they treat everybody based upon what the people need. I guess Seattle Children's ditched that. The most damning aspect of these documents is their repeated assertion that the gender clinic does not provide mental health services. That's from Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, who's a former associate dean for curriculum at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He's the current chair of Do Not Harm, which is a not-for-profit that is out there trying to save our kids from butchers. Like apparently live at Seattle Children's Hospital. The notion that these kids who are often depressed, anxious, even autistic, they're not provided with those services in a way that is closely linked with the activities of the gender clinic, Gofarb said, that's appalling. Children with autism are vastly overrepresented in the population of transgender-identified youth. Bet you didn't know that. And mental health problems, including anxiety, depression, that lead often to attempted suicide, are very common among this demographic. A Seattle Children's Hospital guide titled, quote, Algorithm, Gender Affirming Medical Care for Kids, listed interest in cross-sex treatments as the only Necessary qualification for patients who are getting puberty blockers and cross sex hormones. That's all you got to do. Hey, we can do the surgery, but you got to do this first. It lists various pathways to biomedical interventions while mentioning mental health treatment as an additional resource. And that's listed only in the context of patients who are not interested in the blockers hormones, or surgeries. If the patient expresses interest in cross-sex treatments, but the parents are uncertain, doctors should follow the yes path. Now, what does that mean? It means they should make puberty blockers available, refer the child to a gender clinic, and provide advice on binding and tucking, according to the document. You know what that means. Genitals. A spokesperson for the hospital told the Daily Caller News that parental consent is required for gender-affirming medical care for minors did not respond to a follow-up about the discrepancy between this claim and the guidance that they publish. Screen for depression, anxiety, and suicidality and refer to a mental health therapist if there are any concerns or for continued gender exploration. Please note, Gender clinics does not provide long-term mental health therapy. That's from the guide. And it's in a section for patients who are not interested in transgender medical procedures. And it goes on and on and on. This is happening to our kids. It is. It is they're promoting it, they're advertising. Now, why would this hospital do that? Why would Seattle Children's Hospital do that? Of course, they'll tell you the reason is there are so many gender-confused kids out there. We need to make ourselves available to them so that we, the experts, we can tell them, hey, here's what'll fix your problem. And they're talking to seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids, Hey you remember when you were seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12 years old, you remember that? Did you know all this stuff? I was mixed up when I was those ages, but I was growing. I was maturing, I was learning. And I certainly, I never had an inkling that I might be another sex from what I was and what I am. And, of course, now they explain what I just said to you. Oh, you just didn't know. You didn't have the support around you. Nobody was there giving you the truth. You probably should be female, Dan. And you can still go that route if you want to. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's insane what they're doing. And they're doing it in the name of righteousness and fairness and equity. And then there's the head of the national, the biggest national school board association, which is, by the way, a union. Randy Weingarten. She was all up in the middle of everything to do with COVID during our pandemic. Why? Because she cares for the kids. You know, it's a union for teachers. We care for the kids, our union members. We care for the kids. And it comes out that what She did. Randy Weingarten, she was locked step in hand with Dr. Rochelle Walensky at the CDC. And many of the recommendations that came out of the CDC, we discovered, were coordinated with the labor union and Randy Weingarten. Yesterday, she was called before one of the House committees, Jim Jordan, grilled her on the role that patients, excuse me, parents should be having in their kids' education. When I grew up, my parents were in charge of education. I went, of course, I went to public school, but I went where they wanted me to go. They made sure that I was getting the right education, the right teachers when I was there. They were involved, but everything was just about me. I never heard anybody go after a teacher or talk about teacher's qualities or, you know, I, I would rather my child be in this class than this other class and my kid's not getting taught about sexuality like he should. They're not talking about gender dysphobia like they should. That was never even mentioned when I was growing up. You know when I first started hearing about this about two years ago? Does that mean I'm a white supremacist or a stupid southerner? You can label me however you want to, but I'm a fact finder, and I'm looking for facts. That's what Jim Jordan was doing in this conversation yesterday with Teachers Union head Randy Weingarten.
7: Who cares more, Ms. Weingarten? Who cares more about a child's education, the Teachers Union or the child's parents?
5: I would say that um, Mr. Jordan or Representative Jordan, teachers, parents, and teachers— care about kids, obviously parents care about their own kids more than probably anyone else. But teachers and parents are real partners in children's education.
7: Okay, that's fine. So, so you would say, but I ask you who cares more, you would say parents.
5: Well, parents, parents care, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to be in a competition. Parents are so important in children's lives. No kidding. Teachers are so important in children's lives, too. I agree. Too.
7: Why'd, you, uh, why'd you repost and praise the op-ed that was in the Washington Post? Uh, parents claim they have the right to shape their kids' school curriculum, they don't. Um, You've posted they, that and you said this was a great piece that we should, that people should read. Head of the, Teachers Union praises op-ed claiming parents don't have a right to shape their kids' curriculum. You really believe that? The,
5: um, the headline of that op-ed, was not appropriate compared to the actual work in that op-ed. The work in that op-ed talked about, if you actually read you disagree that op-ed... With that,
7: you disagree with the headline then?
5: No, I disagreed with the headline. The work in that okay. op-ed talked about how um, parents and teachers have to have a role so, so sh- in kids' education. So should the
7: headline have read, parents claim ha- they have a right to shape their kids' school curriculum. They do? Should that have been what the headline said?
5: I don't... Uh, you know... Uh, Mr. Well, let me ask, you, Jordan, let me just ask you straight
7: forward. Just let me ask straight forward. Do parents have a right to shape their kids' curriculum?
5: Parents have a right to have a role in their kids'
7: curriculum, yes. Who are the extremist politicians? You did 25 pages of your written testimony. You had 14 pages. Your law firm had, I think, the other uh, 11. And right at the end of the main body of your written testimony before you get into the issue of today about the consultation you guys had with the CDC. You say in this last paragraph, uh, attacks by extremist politicians have undermined teachers in schools. Well, who are, the, who are the extremist politicians?
5: I think you just heard one, sir. So, Ms.
7: Green's one of them? I think... Look, okay, that's what uh, you think? I think when...
5: I think the issue is the culture wars that are going on in schools right now banning books, undermining teachers...
7: How about this statement? I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. You just told me a few minutes ago you didn't agree with that sentiment. Is that a statement from? That's a statement from a politician. Is that extremist?
5: I believe that parents have to have a role in kids' education. And in fact, when I was teaching at Clara Barton High School, we had parent engagement all the time. Who said this statement? I would bring. If you, if you want me to finish, I'll finish. I, like so many other teachers. Used to do. I was a high school social studies teacher. I know you were a wrestling coach. I was a high school
7: social studies teacher. My wife taught taught our kids went to public school. We appreciate good teachers. My coach, my high school coach, had a huge impact on my life. I
5: know, and I honor that. Same here. But we, you know, so what I would do, and so many other teachers. But I ask you, I ask you a
7: specific question. I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. Do you know who made that statement? um, I don't know. September 28, 2021, candidate for governor in the state of Virginia. You know who made that statement?
5: I don't. Are you talking about Mr. McAuliffe?
7: I am talking about Mr. McAuliffe. He made that statement. Is that extremist? Is that an extremist political statement?
5: In fact, what I did, Mr. Jordan, was when I heard that statement. No, we know what you
7: did. You endorsed him and did a six-figure ad buy your organization did 18 days later. When
5: I did, Mr. Jordan, is when I heard that statement, I called Mr. McAuliffe and but, I told him I disagreed with him. But on it wasn't that enough to
7: get you to not do a six-figure ad buy for his campaign.
5: Well, what the six, what the ad buy did was do what we thought Mr. Koff was, which was and that really same supportive. Paragraph, that same paragraph of on page twelve. I just got parents. a minute. I just got a minute. And same Sorry. Par-
7: same paragraph on page twelve. You say most Americans disapprove of the culture wars that have saturated education policy. Who started the culture wars?
5: Um. I know that when you have banning of books, like a book about. Well, let, me Anne ask you, Tank, you, let me ask you a story, Like a book a, a, a around about Roberto Clemente, like a book about R- Ruby Bridges, that's wrong.
7: Those that who think, let me in, ask you this. Those, us things were in those Florida. who think boys should compete against boys in sports, or those who think boys can compete against girls in sports, which one, which side started the culture war? Which one of those positions?
5: Sir, I am talking about, when I talk about the culture wars, I am talking about things like book banning. I'm talking about things like stopping teachers from teaching honest history.
7: Is it starting a culture war if you think uh, literature should be age appropriate? That's not starting a culture war.
5: I believe that literature should be age appropriate too.
7: Okay. I'm out of time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: You just heard the head of the Biggest Teachers Union try to lay out justification for what she and her union did, a union did during the pandemic. And we all know doctors have come out in mass and told us over and over and over again what they're finding happened to our children that were locked down, virtual learning from home, especially minority children. Minority children in large, they didn't live in homes where they had access, easy access to computers for online learning. And so what did they do? They just did whatever they could do and wanted to do. Mom and dads, many mom and dads were able to work. Kids at home by themselves, can you imagine socially, biologically, what being locked away from school, their education, their teachers, their friends, what that did to millions of kids around the nation? After the fact, we're finding out that what we were told would happen if we locked down the nation really did happen. Oh my gosh, that's a shock. (laughs) When the left say something's gonna happen and it doesn't happen, we never hear an apology. They still don't own up to the fact that all of the egregious lockdowns in many ways destroyed a couple of years of these kids' normal, natural maturity that they missed for political purposes. Now, I told you I had something very important to mention when we let you hear from Randy Whitegarden. By the way, she's not a mother. She and her partner, she's married, she's gay, lesbian, And they have adopted, so they have children, but she's never had a baby, no biological baby, and she claims she understands everything there is about parenting. She knows it all. I've never been a mother either, but I understand better than does she how biologically when kids grow, how critical the home is and how critical the school is to all of our children. And when you take either of those institutions away, the kids are the ones that suffer and they suffer astronomically in both cases. I lived through one of those. I can tell you how tough it is on kids. My family blew up when I was a young teenager and it was tough, it was tough. I lived through things that I never should have had to live through because my family broke up. I had to leave school that I was in and I had just left my previous school that I grew up in to go to this new school to begin my junior year, and excuse me, my freshman year in another town in a high school where I knew nobody. And then two and a half years later, that blew up. Dysfunction is tough enough for children that are just living in the world, let alone having union people come in and run their education. If we don't get anything else right, we've got to get that right. We've got to put the onus back on our education leaders to forget about this social engineering, forget about this wokeness, forget about all of that, and let's go back to teaching our kids things like history and math. And oh, by the way, leave the textbooks alone. Do you know there are textbooks out there, you can find them in schools now, that they have totally rewritten parts of American history, and they not only leave things out, they replace things they take out, the writers do, and these books are published by national education publishing companies, and they're in your child's school right now if your kid's going to public school. We've got to stop that as moms and dads, as American adults. It reminds me of my youngest daughter when she was at college going for her second degree. She had a sweet mate from Japan. And they had an American history class together. And they discussed part of it was World War II. And this Japanese girl was her first time to come to the United States. She really got upset when they talked about the beginning of World War II and Pearl Harbor and the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor to start our part of the war in the Pacific. We were already at war in Europe with Germany. And she questioned my daughter and said, Why are they teaching these lies about the beginning of World War II? World War II began when the United States bombed Tokyo. That's what she was taught in school in Japan. They say, we started the war by bombing Tokyo. We never bombed Tokyo for more than a year later. People, for political causes, economic causes, or trying to change history and change the lives of our children. If we're not willing to insert ourselves in that to end it, the United States, as you and I have known it, I've known it for my 69 years, however old you are, it's never going to be the same. And our kids, maybe not our kids, we're older, now our kids are having kids, so our grandkids... They're going to grow up in a world that looks nothing like the reality of it is. That, my friends, should scare the bejesus out of all of us.
8: The new Amazon Echo
0: has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it?
1: What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a
0: busted machine again.
1: That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can
2: find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather
3: outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny.
4: I don't know about that. <laughs> the latest in sports.
3: Clarissa, how many
6: did old Satchel strike out last night?
3: Satchel Page died in
6: 1982. Uh, how many
3: did he get? Satchel Page is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Page.
1: Uh, I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Manita! What them boys up to across the street?
3: They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I
0: don't know about that. <laughs> <I'm>
1: Here <hearing> it <laughs> to smart devices like your thermostat.
3: Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alessandra?
1: The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young.
3: Angela, play black jazz. Playing uh, jazz.
1: (laughs) It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things.
3: Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand.
1: And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him $5 and he said I only gave him $1.
0: Uh-huh.
6: I said, I know I
0: gave you a $5. uh huh
6: Because I only had a 5 and a $1 only. Uh-huh. And this is the $1 right here. Uh-huh.
0: So, I mean, you tell me
1: who's crazy amazon echo silver get yours today i said get
2: yours today to order amazon echo silver send a check or money order to amazon.com right now
0: in the clown car of the deep state you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy you need a hero here again blaster in hand is dan newman Before we get off of the school conversation, yesterday, I guess it was last night, Brian Kilmeade at Fox News, he had former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii. She was actually a Democrat when she served in Congress, representing Hawaii, and just recently she pulled out of the Democrat Party. Now, she's not a Republican. She hasn't joined any political party, But she is somebody that thinks through policies. And I have a lot of respect for her for that reason. But they got on the topic of the language that is being forced down the throats of students by teachers and administrators in our public schools. And it sounds like a word salad. And I can only imagine how it's impacting our kids. Listen to Kilmeade and Gabbard.
4: Meanwhile, this story is important. Elementary schools are now indoctrinating kids with gender ideology. Now a school district in Vermont, it's called the Exodus-Wexford School District, just sent out this memo to fifth grade parents, quote, we will be using the following language with students, person who produces sperm in the place of boy, person who produces eggs in the place of girl. So you can't say boy or girl anymore to fifth graders. This is nuts. Tulsi Gabbard is a former presidential candidate. Fox News contributor joins us now. Tulsi, your reaction to what's happening in Vermont? This is crazy.
9: (laughs) Brian, this is insane. You know, when I see stuff like this, I keep thinking, okay, somebody's going to jump out and say, this is a prank. This is all just a joke. This is all just some big social experiment to test and see who is actually going to fall for this insanity under social pressures just to get along and not be ostracized. And who is going to have the courage to stand up and say what is obviously clear, which is this is literal insanity, but it hasn't happened yet. And it's not going to happen because this is happening. It's real. And there are very real, serious consequences. We're talking about our children here. And these teachers are telling our kids there is no such thing as objective truth. The truth is whatever you want it to be, whatever you feel it should be, and whatever those in power tell you the truth is. Uh, This has such incredible, dangerous consequences because it gets to the point where those in power, not only in government, but those uh, in, in big tech, in the mainstream media, those who have this great influence they are seeing that they can get people to believe whatever they tell them they should believe and people to act and respond based on whatever they are saying is right or what is true. When, when neither are the case.
4: Yeah, this parental group came out and they blasted this because this was an actual letter they went home. It wasn't something a fifth grader told their mom or their dad, so they blasted it, but it's not changing. They say they have these kids take on these new titles and then they sit around discussion groups and then they provide private reflection time for fifth graders. Do you think, do you know a fifth grader that needs private reflection time? They want to go from one game to the next game uh, to maybe their phones and home. Now they have private reflection time. Here's the thing. Sometimes you have school choice. But my fear is in a rural states like Vermont, even if you had school choice, a lot of times there's no other school. You're stuck.
9: That's right. That's right. And, and what we're talking about here in this elementary public school is a basic science and health class where they are doing this uh, and trying to indoctrinate our kids with their propaganda. Basic science and health, things that are actually pretty important, uh, basic biology, things for kids and people in general to know and be aware of. But the fact that they are doing this and twisting this is, is, again, it is literal insanity. It's up to us as Americans. I call on every Democrat, every American to take responsibility, stand up. If you believe in common sense, stand up for common sense and the truth and protect our kids. If this
4: letter comes home to your house, you should not accept this and do everything you can to get your kid out of that school and that environment. Tulsi, thanks for speaking up. Appreciate it. Great to see you.
0: Seriously, if your kid is being shoved with woke policies every day in public schools, mom's dad's You must find a way to get your kids out of those schools and get them somewhere where they will get an education that you agree with, that you believe is the best for your children, regardless of what labor union, teachers, unions, people, administrators, teachers even, regardless of what they say, your responsibility is your kids, not their responsibility. They're supposed to teach your kids factually and not socially engineer any of our kids. And if that's happening where your child is going to school, I don't care if it's private or public. Move them. Get rid of them. Oh, by the way, demand in your state that the amount of money public education is spending every year on your kid, you're a taxpayer in your state, push your legislators in your state to go to the process where the money, the tax money paid for education. It goes where the kids go. It's not determined by just flooding public school system in each state, in your state, with dollars with no accountability for content and what they're doing. It's happening across the nation. It's called school choice. Find a place to make your kid Comfortable in your mind, at least, that they're learning what they need to learn. Let's switch gears for a minute. We don't hear much about Justice Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. He was Trump's first appointee to the s- Supreme Court when Trump went into the White House. A publish was uh, published. A story was published Tuesday that included a claim that Justice Neil Gorsuch made an error. Oh my gosh, somebody made an error? A Supreme Court justice goofed up. His error was not disclosing who purchased the property that he was part owner of. However, the store quickly attracted criticism after some legal experts and some commentators argued Politico misrepresented key parts of Gorsuch's financial disclosures. And of course, Politico, it's a leftist rag. We all know that. They wouldn't bend an article they published about a conservative justice of the Supreme Court. They wouldn't bend it toward the leftist perspective, would they? So here's what it's all about. Back in April of 2017, Greenberg Traurig Law Firm CEO Brian Duffy bought a property that was owned by Walden Group, a group that was formed by Justice Gorsuch and two others in which Gorsuch held a 20% stake. Now, that's according to the Politico article. greenberg Traurig later had business before the Supreme Court after Gorsuch's appointment. Now, Justice Gorsuch, he disclosed in his 2017 financial disclosures that he had sold Walden Group LLC, on December 31st of 2017, but he didn't list the identity of the buyer, a point which Politico repeatedly stressed, citing ethics expert and former Obama administration official Kedrick Payne to suggest that Gorsuch should have reported the purchaser's identity. Politico then began, they just got blasted, critics castigating the article as unfair and biased. I don't think anybody would expect anything other than that from Politico. The reporter failed to mention that her so-called nonpartisan source was actually, uh-oh, here we go, a senior Obama administration political appointee named Mike Davis, who's founder and president of the Article Three Project and former Gorsuch law clerk. Neither the reporter nor her Obama political appointee source cited any statute or any other legal requirements before reporting their incorrect legal take about Justice Gorsuch. Stephen Gillers, New York University professor, told the New York Times that Gorsuch was under no legal obligation to report the buyer of the property. This is just another garbage hit job. Garrett Ventry, former Senate Judiciary Committee aide, said. Justice Gorsuch disclosed the amount of the sale on his 2017 financial disclosure. He never met or had any relationship with the purchaser, who even confirmed that for Politico before they published the article. And the purchaser is a Democrat donor who has maxed out giving to Clinton and Kirsten Gillibrand. Besides that, following a thread by lawyer Thomas Crown, legal experts were quick to argue Politico likely confused the sale of the property with the disposition of Gorsuch's stake in Walden Group, LLC, which would mean there was no counterparty in the transaction that Gorsuch could even disclose. Politico confuses Walden Group's sale of property with termination of Gorsuch's interest in Walden Group, there was no counterparty to report on the latter. Ed Whelan, the Ethics and Public Policy Center's Antonine Scalia Chair in Constitutional Studies. In other words, here's another leftist rag. It's one of the biggest when Politico headquartered up in the Northeast, where all of the left have pretty much total control over the legacy media, which has just simply become a mouthpiece. For Democrats, especially the far left, Politico came up with something that they thought they could turn into a successful hit job on a conservative justice on the Supreme Court. And so they published it. I guess they were thinking nobody was going to come out and confront them with the facts. And the only reason I brought that to your attention is how many millions of people that are in the tank Politico readers, how many of them... Listen to the facts that came out that debunked this story about Gorsuch. How many of them went around telling the people in their circle, did you read Politico? Neil Gorsuch, he violated ethics of the Supreme Court. He didn't disclose who he sold that piece of property to. And they still believe the story rather than getting the facts. I'm not going to teach you anything. I'm not going to pound you over the head, but that's why I tell you everything you hear, here and anywhere else, everything you see, you watch, you read, if it's important, it seems important to you, find out if it's true. And if it isn't, mark it off. Ignore it. Because then you'll have the factual perspective. Facts are something that um, our current president doesn't deal with very successfully he lied on Tuesday got busted in one not a big deal but anyway if you lie about one thing don't you think you're going to be lying about other things that's what most of us would think Biden lied about his birth he claimed he was born in the same hospital where his granddad died just two weeks before he was born He was speaking at North America's Building Trades Union's legislative conference at the Washington Hilton. He lied about his birth, one of many lies throughout the years. He said, my grandpop, who I never met, died in the same hospital I was born in two weeks before I was born. My grandpa was, as they say in Maryland, from blamer. However, the Biden family lineage says something different. Biden's grandfather died in September of 1941 in Baltimore. And that's according to the Baltimore Sun. They would know. Joe Biden was born November 20th, 1942 in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay, grandpop, as he called him, was born, excuse me, died in September of 1941 in Baltimore. Biden was born November 20th, 1942. In Scranton. The president's statement that's just one example of a bunch of lies he's told. He claimed in 2022 his grandfather was an All American football player. According to the RNC's research team, Biden's statement's another made up story. My grandfather, Ambrose Finnegan, would really be proud of me right now. I'm not joking, he would. By the way, he was an All American football player. That was October 20th of last year. Records show that Ambrose's birth was between 1884 and 1885. He would have been an All-American football player around 1902. (laughs) Also in 2022, Biden lied about where his son died. He told an audience in Colorado on October 12th his late son Bo lost his life in Iraq. I remember when Bo actually died from cancer. It happened at Walter Reed National Medical Center in Maryland in 2015. And there are whoppers. We could go on and on all afternoon, even, about what Biden lied about. He falsely claimed he's never spoken to Hunter Biden about his family business. In 2018, Biden left Hunter Biden a voicemail about a business deal with Chinese energy giant CEFC. That voicemail from the president who said he's never talked to Hunter about anything to do with business, it directly contradicted Biden's statement in 2019 that he and his son had never spoken about the family's corrupt business schemes. And even after that, layer after layer of lies about it were debunked. He had all kinds of meetings, even White House meetings, dinner meetings with Hunter Biden's overseas partners and overseas business stuff. Ah, it's no big deal. Sounds good sometimes if you lie, instead of telling the truth. And I think that's probably why most people do lie. ATF Director Steve Dedelbach, who when he went through the confirmation hearings in in the Senate, he almost did not get confirmed as ATF director. He was asked yesterday whether the agency was going to prosecute people who violated its brand new pistol brace rule and did so, violated it accidentally. What is this rule about? Well, it requires owners to register any pistols that have braces. You know, if you see a brace, it comes down from uh, the stock of the gun and it, is steadied by being tight on your arm, your forearm to make you a better shooter when you shoot specifically primarily at targets. But they have branded in a rule, not a law, but in a rule, short barreled rifles are what these pistols are be redefined as. and here's how they say it has to happen. Any one of these, designed or redesigned, made or remade, and intended to be fired from the shoulder as a rifle, those are classified as illegal. Republican Texas Rep. Troy Nell said he viewed the rule as a direct assault on law-abiding American Second Amendment rights, and he's asking Dettelbach what enforcement mechanism the ATF would use to fine or even possibly sentence people to jail if they don't comply or aren't aware of it. And this was during a House Judiciary Committee hearing on ATF oversight. ATF's mission remains focused on protecting the American people from violent crime. We target our resources toward violent people who, now this is Dettelbeck talking with Nels cutting him off, Nels questioned what the ATF would do if he or millions of others hypothetically failed to comply with this rule, and that prompted Dettelbach to mention the ATF's violent crime focus once more. Nels had said that stabilizing gun braces were originally created for wounded and disabled Americans who often use them. The ATF says the new rule does not affect pistol-stabilizing braces, quote, objectively designed and intended as a stabilizing brace for use by individuals with disabilities and not for shouldering the weapon as a rifle. I just want the American people, everybody, to understand you're going after veterans, individuals like myself, and this is Congressman Nell speaking, like this guy, with the resources they currently have. He pointed to a picture of a man in a wheelchair ...holding one of these firearms. Honestly, folks. Most murders are committed not with rifles. They're committed with semi-automatic handguns. Pistols. There are bad people out there that they opt for to own... ...what the Biden administration and Democrats have used... ...as their number one talking point against the Second Amendment those weapons of war, those semi-automatic rifles. There are people killed with every kind of handgun. There are people killed, there are thousands of people that die every year being beat with a hammer. Oh, and what about some driver drunk killing somebody? Somebody getting killed, it doesn't matter what the weapon is that caused that death, whether it's a car, whether it's a hammer, whether it's a baseball bat, a handgun, or a rifle. It's not the weapon that does the killing. There's not a weapon alive that can get up on its own and go beat somebody to death or shoot somebody in the head. It takes a human being. And murder, shooting somebody, that's a choice that people make. Wouldn't it be interesting if somebody in the Biden administration would sit down with the president and say, look, you're fighting a losing battle. The Supreme Court through generations has confirmed over and over and over again, every American, they have the right to legally own a gun, period. And keep it personally, period. There's no way around that. Why don't we start talking about how we can prevent these people that are prone to be one of those who will use a weapon of war, as they call it. It's not a weapon of war, but they say it is, to stop those people from killing. Whatever reasons, they're prone to do that. Why don't we just address those? Prevention, rather than trying to destroy the Constitution. We didn't talk much, haven't said too much in the last few days about what's going on in uh, in Africa. Sudan, Khartoum, their capital, it's getting ripped apart. Moments, Marines folded the flag at the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum yesterday before 100 elite troops were evacuated, Democratic staff Now, they took everybody out, those 100 elite troops and uh, diplomatic staff, but they left 16,000 desperate American citizens in Sudan. Two of those Americans that have been left have already been killed. 16,000. Marines were shown at the U.S. Embassy in Khartoum folding the national flag and this war-torn capital before 100 elite troops were evacuated along with diplomatic staff that are there. Pictures picture showed the flag being lowered by the Marine Security Guard Detachment at a flag-folding ceremony. The ambassador to Sudan, John Godfrey, oversaw those proceedings. The U.S. and African nations were racing to secure an extension of a ceasefire in Sudan on Thursday of last week with 16,000 American citizens still trapped in the country. Two U.S. deaths resulting from the conflict, and it's only been going on 12 days. On Saturday, our embassy in Khartoum suspended operations and ordered its staff to leave the country. In a security alert Tuesday, two days ago, the State Department reiterated that due to the uncertain security situation in Khartoum and the closure of the airport, it's not currently safe to undertake a U.S. government-coordinated evacuation of private U.S. citizens. Well, they, they airlifted their embassy staff. While they did that, there were no plans to give similar evacuations for potentially thousands of Americans that are still in Sudan. Instead, it provided details on border crossings. That are available and the requirements needed at each location. It cautioned the fighting continues, and that many routes are dangerous and unpredictable. In other words, hey, look, we're not gonna do what we committed to do when we took all of us took our oaths of office to protect the nation and American citizens, to protect them. Oh, we're gonna protect a few of them. Well, who are you gonna protect? Those people that work for us. You know, those on the left, the diplomats, those are much more important than those 16,000 everyday American citizens. They made a decision to go there on their own. They just need to take care of themselves. That's exactly what it is. American citizens who get to Port Sudan overland and can take a ferry to Jeddah will be assisted by the U.S. consulate there. But right now, the U.S. Assistant for Americans is limited to phone and virtual help. Now, the U.S., we could send some Navy ships to Port Sudan to ferry Americans back to Jeddah or some other location where they could then get transportation back to the U.S. But officials say this would depend on the security situation and whether it is safe for ships to dock. Can you believe this is actually happening? Can you imagine let me just let me just roll it back in time. Can you imagine Ronald Reagan letting that happen? He wouldn't. His predecessor would and did by the way. He left a bunch of Americans that had been kidnapped in Iran for a year. Jimmy Carter did. And Reagan, when he was campaigning before he was elected, when he got elected in November, he got up and he warned Iran, What was going to happen if they didn't let those Americans go? That was in November. He gets inaugurated in December, excuse me, in January, the day that he, Ronald Reagan, was inaugurated, Iran released these 100-plus hostages. Do you think these rebels in Khartoum give a rip about what Joe Biden and his administration Will do to them, they know nothing's gonna happen. Now we're told the U.S. has developed other options to get out, like opening a temporary consulate in Port Sudan, beefing up its consulate in Jeddah to help Americans as they arrive in Jeddah, or using a nearby airfield that other European countries have used to fly their citizens out. Novel idea. Why don't you get planes to those and that air strip? And fly our Americans out. U.S. officials believe the security situation in Port Sudan is better than in the capital. But they still are concerned about the potential for an escalation of violence. 16,000 people, you think these rebels are just going to come in and, oh, hi, how you doing? Pat them on the back. No, they're going to slaughter them. They'll hold them for hostage. This is not... A civilized group of rebels, folks. They slaughter their own people without even thinking about it. In most cases, the US does not evacuate private citizens when it closes an embassy. We've closed embassies in the past. I never remember these things happening like happened in our crazy sudden withdrawal from Afghanistan. Hundreds of Americans are still there more than a year later hiding from the Taliban, hoping they're going to be able to get out. The only way people have gotten out is when patriots privately have put evacuations together and have gotten 100-plus people out of Afghanistan, and they had to do that because the Biden administration won't do anything. They just basically wash their hands of it. Great leadership there, right? We have so much insanity going on right now. Back to the social wars. There's a bill in the Minnesota legislature right now. Democrat state representatives put it out there. And if it's passed and signed into law, it could end the exclusion of pedophilia from legal protections of sexual orientation in state law. And what does it mean? The state has an existing anti-discrimination law, and it excludes sexual attraction to children from legally protected sexual orientations. But this bill that's titled H.F. 1655 would remove that exclusion. In other words, they want pedophiles to be a protected sexual orientation. Now, what does a pedophile do? They go after kids sexually. The bill describes itself as removing certain sections in the Human Rights Act that allow for discrimination based on sexual orientation. The phrase sexual orientation does not include a physical or sexual attachment to children by an adult. They want to strike that from the legal definition of sexual orientation if the bill passes. In other words, pedophiles, go ahead. Prey on our kids. Go after them sexually. Sexual orientation is a protected legal class in Minnesota in areas of employment, housing, housing, public accommodations, public service, educational institutions, and also credit and business discrimination. This legislation also creates a legal definition for gender identity and specifies that gender identity may not match one's biological sex and may not be visible to others. Lee Finke, who was listed first among the bill's authors, is transgender frequently speaks out against legal restrictions on child sex changes. Finky did not respond to a multiple list of requests for comment on this, but did make a statement on Twitter in response to the blowback that they're receiving against this bill. Here's what Winky said. The past 36 hours in this job have been the most difficult so far. I've been confronted, called the worst things possible, threatened with murder. The volume has been greater than at any point. All for a lie told about a small bill that changes nothing about sexual orientation. So much cruelty. For what? For a one-minute floor debate on a two-line amendment that received a unanimous vote. Literally. No. Controversy. Folks could have listened, but they didn't want to. They instead used the opportunity to amplify the hatred of trans people. Forget about it. I he didn't even mention the fact that making pedophilia a protected sexual class in Minnesota means that those who practice pedophilia cannot be attacked in any way legally because of their attacking of kids. It's insane. I can't believe we're having this conversation. In the United States of America. And we're going to finish the day today with that wonderful story coming out of Minnesota. Look, I appreciate you so much being here. Thank you so. Thank you. You make choices. And in this case, I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great Thursday. We're back here tomorrow morning, wrapping up the week together. And I know there'll be some big stuff that you want to get some facts on. See you at 9 o'clock in the morning right here at TNN Live. It's been